time for another edition of Tennis.com's weekly podcast. And here's your host, James Martin. All right, so welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. We're a two-man show this week, Peter Bodo and myself, James Martin. Pete, what's going on? Not too much. I miss Tigner. We, we miss Tigner. We've been having some technical difficulties, I think they call it, and uh, we're working to fix one of our mics. But in the meantime, we wanted to, the show must go on. And uh, Steve is in the trenches of USTA Magazine at the moment, so we'll let him be and, uh, and, and all that stuff. Before we started, I did want to give a shout-out to uh, another podcast. They were kind enough to uh, mention our show and uh, wanted to return the favor. It's Essential Tennis. It's a 100% instruction uh, podcast, Pete, and it's run by a guy named Ian Westerman, and he's a graduate of Ferris State University's um, tennis professional tennis management uh, program. It's like one of the few tennis programs that you can go to college for. He's a full-time teaching pro, and uh, this podcast, I listened to it. It's really good. It breaks down strokes and strategy and gear and um, you know, sports medicine and all that stuff. He spent 10 minutes dissecting a, a, a volley on one of the podcasts. It was actually really helpful, and I found that you know if you do have problems with your game, this is a good place to go for a pod. The man is living a life. You can't, you not, you can't, uh, you can't fault anyone for immersing himself in that kind of thing. It's a good site. No, it's good. And if you want to check it out, go to um, uh, iTunes Essential Tennis, or go to his website. It's EssentialTennis.com. And uh, so, just giving a shout out to those guys. And uh, getting back to our show here today, the um, the big news over the weekend obviously was uh, a big match, a semifinal match. It wasn't the finals, but the fi- semifinals in Houston between Outlaw Odesnik and Sam Query. Pete. Uh, what were your thoughts about this? There was a lot of controversy, and it was a testy match. Wayne the outlaw, Udesnik. Yeah, you know, I don't know. This is, you know, the guy shouldn't be playing. He's long and short of it in my mind. You know, he got, he was caught possessing HGH, which in the eyes of the ITF and, and other tennis agencies is the same as actually testing positive, so as, as using performance-enhancing drugs. So Pleaded I, guilty. Pardon me? Yeah, Pleaded and, guilty. Pleaded guilty in Australian court of law to uh, to possessing HGH. So, you know, uh, one of the things that really distressed me about it is, have you noticed there's there's been no apology from Wayne Desnick? I'm not a, the kind of guy who wants to, you know, beat people into making public apologies and confessions, but you'd think the guy would at least, you know, say he's sorry for embarrassing the game. Well, one of the hardest things and one of the things you rarely see anybody do, it seems, is say, I'm sorry. You know, even when Agassi had his had that gaffe with Sampras at the exhibition, he came out to ESPN. He never said, I'm sorry. And it's one, it seems to be the two hardest words in the English language for anybody to say these days. And, uh, and Query made the same point after the match. He said, look, I think he should apologize to the sport, to the integrity of the game. The guy messed up. And um, I think the contentiousness of that match, too, you know, addressed something that I've been feeling, which is, you know, that in these cases, you know, the guys who really get punished are the guys who are still playing, you know, at least until some decision is reached if, if a, a player like Odesnik gets suspended or something. Because, look, I mean, you know, it's just not fair to the other players. You know, they're, they're going out there with all kinds of psychological bad baggage. You're thinking, you know, I shouldn't even been playing. It's got, they're mad. And any, the only person who ever played good when he was mad was John McEnroe. So, you know, these people have an extra burden going in to play this guy. Plus, of course, there's always a question of, well, has a guy been juicing and cheating, you know, which, which of course, is also unfair. And it's guys at his level, you know, it doesn't bother the Nadal's of this world. He's going to hammer a guy like that, any, you know, all day long, any time. But this is the journeyman that has a lot to gain by doing something like this. Yeah, you know, the guy to whom another round means being able to afford plane ticket to the next tournament. It's just an awful situation. I think the ITM, this, they hide behind this sort of almost politically correct kind of, oh, due process, you know, what would you, just what you would want. But, you know, this is a little bit like those flight risk cases where somebody's judged a flight risk and therefore not granted, you know, the, the typical courtesies of freedom and stuff. The guys pleaded guilty. 
you know, uh, in an Australian court. There's no question he had the HGH. He should at least be sidelined. No, it's, it is bogus, this due process thing. And, and there's no harm in saying, look, you're suspended right now. You pleaded guilty to having this HGH. Obviously, once it goes to court, they, they give him his due process if it's found that he's not guilty for whatever reason in terms of, I mean, he is guilty. I don't know how they would find out he's not guilty. But if for whatever reason they decided that he's been wrongly accused of something, they can reverse things. They can give him, I mean, they can figure out how to give back some potential prize money losses. I mean, they can work back that way as opposed to having him play in these tournaments and being unfair. I mean, you watch that match with Query. He was, I mean, he was, you've never seen Sam Query that testy, that angry uh, in a match before, maybe ever again. I mean, he was just, a, 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 he lost the plot. He was griping about why am I having to play a guy that shouldn't even be in the tournament. They were having, well, he was giving words to, to Odesnik, and it was, I mean, it was riveting tennis. It was the most engrossing tennis you'll see at that small stadium in Houston, but it um, doesn't seem to me that there's anything wrong with saying you're suspended right now, and if something turns out where we, we don't think you've done anything wrong, we can reinstate some ranking points and, and figure something out. Yeah, take a seat, buddy. I mean, basically what they're going to do, you know, what they're going to do, you know, if he does actually, look, maybe, the, I mean, you got, you got to give, you know, some shadow of it that maybe there are these really unusual mitigating circumstances that would apply in tennis and somehow make the offense you know, uh, you know, le- le- less worse in tennis. I mean, I doubt it, but, you know, you have to leave the door open to maybe something like that since he hasn't made any explanation whatsoever. But, yeah, but, you know, what they're going to do is if, if uh, by all rights, if they, when they finish their investigation, it looks like he'll probably end up suspended. And then, then they have to take away their ranking points, take away the prize money. All they've done is screw up a tournament for a lot of people or a couple tournaments. Yeah, no doubt about it. And the people that lost him on the, on the way, it's just, a big, it's just a big cluster. Well, you know what it is. Um, what, yeah, that's right. What, what, do you, what do you think, though, about... And I, I don't like Odesnik. I don't like what he's representing right now. But there was a lot of there was animosity. There was tension in that match. Odesnik was was taking ridiculous amounts of time uh, when he was serving. It was amazing that the chair umpire didn't even warn him because he was taking more time than an adult would take. Query was was you know giving him lip and and circling you know uh, balls that were out, saying I don't need input from you, buddy. And it was kind of ref- I found it really refreshing that you know here I'm watching a tennis match with two guys. Uh, that are not getting along. There was there was that animosity, that tension, and I hate to always harken back to the seventies with the you know those guys because I'm so sick of hearing about that. However, it's undeniable that I haven't been riveted to a tennis match like that in a long time. I, I DVR'd it, and when I got home sa- Saturday night watching it, I mean I didn't miss a, a, a beep of that match because it was just so engrossing. And you kind of wish tennis had a little bit more of that. Well, yeah, I mean there's no question the game, the game has been increasingly professionalized, sanitized and depersonalized. And this is something, you know, Jimmy Connors who, you know, you can go either way on him a lot of times, but but you know, he he had predicted this, he, you know, he had said they're going to take all the personality out of this game. Now, I don't think that's especially true. I don't think it's true, but you but, know, yeah, you see, a case, no, you see a case like this. This is an unusual case. You know something else is going on here. And, you know, the funny thing is in this case, it's, it's kind of, you know, in this case, there's, there's a real backstory there. I mean, a, as a, you know, as, as a kind of a narrative of what's going on here, why is this guy, you know, it is fascinating because in the, the circumstances are unusual. Absolutely. And, uh, well, we'll just uh, leave it at that and go to the next big piece of news that's come out this week. Uh, things just didn't work out, it turns out, Pete, with Djokovic uh, leaving his coach or one of his coaches, Todd Martin. They've been working together not for a long, long time. And that was a part-time uh, deal. Djokovic's game has obviously been going the wrong way uh, over the last few months, and he's been developing hitches in his serve, his forehand, parts ways. I mean, they, they seem very amicable. Uh, yeah, I think it was. Uh, could not. It couldn't not be amicable with a guy like Todd Martin. Yeah, he's a very classy guy. guy. He's good. You know, 
he's got a good sense of humor too. You know, uh, I think I, I don't know how you feel about it, James, but I get I get I get the sense with Djokovic that the guy has kind of lost his game. He forgot what got him there, kind of, and and his game is getting you know, and this is a theme I've been hammering for you know for probably a year now. His game it seems to be getting more complicated. Yeah. You know, all these kind of hitches and glitches and and things. His service motion now he tried to change. I don't know if that was Todd's input or not that did that, but now he's apparently discontent. He wants to find find his own game. This is a guy who really needs you know. It's like he's got to clean up his room. You know, his right. room's crowded with a lot of right. you, have, you have a kid yourself, so you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah. So, you know, there's a. I think that's what he needs. He needs to sort of simplify. Go back to what he did. Cluttered well. mind, cluttered game. Right. That's that's exactly right. I mean, he, he, he these these hitches like did you know? It, it, I mean, who knows what Todd tried to teach him and tried not to teach him, but. It always seemed to me an interesting and, and odd pairing because Todd is the most even keel. You talk to Todd, I mean, he he is very much like this, and he's very you know very measured, and he's thinking about what he's going to say before he says it, which is a, a nice nice quality and a nice trait. But then you have Djokovic, who is clearly somebody that's driven by his emotions. He's an emotional player, and I and I what you're saying I think is right. When he was coming up and he was chasing Federer, he was chasing it all before he won his first Slam. He had a chip on his shoulder. You know, Djokovic was trying and to break it. in his eye. That's right. And and then he gets he wins the slam. Okay, he doesn't deal with the pressure and uh, maybe as well as he could to win more slams, but he's also dealing with Federer and Nadal, the two greatest players of the generation. Um, but it, it seems like he just needs someone to say, forget everything, just go out and just win and, and want to beat these guys. Yeah, one other aspect you kind of forget here pretty easily is that for a lot of these players, like from a nation like Serbia, who are coming up from relatively little – uh, with, you know, little to, you know, a little bit goes a long way with these guys. You know, once these guys... Be, get just, satisfied. Just a fact, yeah, yeah. Once the fact that they become pro players. You know, it's not even that they get satisfied in terms of, well, you know, I got a lot of money, I got a fancy car, everybody in Serbia knows me. It's really just more like, you know, the bar basically is set so low at the outset for, for these folks that, you know, once they actually get a glimpse of the good life and, 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 and have some real accomplishment and achievement, I think it's just very, very hard sometimes for them to really take that next step. I think this happened a lot with the Russian women. If you look at how many oh, great definitely. Russian players yeah. we've had, the number of Grand Slam titles they, pr- they produce is pretty slender. Given their um, numbers, I mean, well, exactly. Yeah. It is. Have you, Pete? You've been obviously covering the game uh, for a long time. Have you ever seen? Um, I can think of one one player myself, but a player, Djokovic, is a you know he's n- number two. He's, uh, I mean, he's a top ten player. Have you ever seen a top ten player with such a range of, of emotion up and down? As I mean, usually when you f- you think someone gets to the, the that top five in tennis, they're going to be somewhat consistent in their emotional makeup on the court. But I, I can think of I think Anastasia is one guy who was a top ranked player who was all over the place could play unbelievable but could also just lose his mind. Who, has anyone come to mind to you that Djokovic reminds you of? Well, yeah, Anastasia certainly certainly was like that. I think you know there there have been a couple other players sort of in and in, in, look Andre Agassi was a lot like that mm. in you know in in his heyday until it, un, until that great turnaround in his career. And you know these guys are more or less you know. Um, you know, Mark Filippoussis, another young guy, probably the best player in everyone to slam in my yeah, time. You know, he's yeah. another guy who would, you know, just kind of come and go and fade out and disappear. I think there's, there's, you know, I, I think Pete Sampras made a good point um, when he said that, look, I mean, you know, you could, you could make a heck of a nice living and have a very, very good life being anywhere between number three and ten, ten in the world and sort of commuting up and down in that area, you know, kind of every Doesn't once in a while. Doesn't change a lot with no, the money, yeah. Every once in a while pop up and win a tournament, maybe even win a slam, you know, right. and, and, and then sort of get a little buzz going about you. And then you, then you got another little surge. Well, another great guy in this way is Medvedev, Andre oh, yeah. Medvedev, yeah. you know, very promising player. Granted, he never won a slam, but the guy sort of had it in him. They say with him it was his, you know, $5 million fila contract. And when he had that little research, 
resurgence and he got, you know, met Magassi, I think, in that French Open final. He had him. Yeah, exactly. You know, he had this resurgence because the contract was running out. So, you know, he said, well, you know, I better get famous again so I can get a lot more. I mean, so these things happen. It's like in baseball, they always make the joke, give me a baseball team where every player is in their last year of their contract and I'm going to win the World Series. That's exactly right. Same thing. There's some truth to that. Um, This week, obviously, a lot of big men's uh, tournament going on in Monte Carlo. It's a uh, Masters 1000. It's an optional 1000, so you don't have to go. And missing an action. Federer is not playing. He decided not to show up. And we have injuries with um, Delpo, Davidenko, Soderling are all out with injuries. Davidenko seems to be pretty serious from what, what I'm reading. Um, and then Juan Martin Del Potro, he's out with a wrist, and Soderling a knee. And then Roddick, uh, who hasn't played there since 03. So a bit open. He's out with Clayitis. <laughs> That's right, Clayitis. All the Americans seem to have that. Um, so you've got Nadal coming into this tournament. Uh, trying to win a six straight. Let's talk about that first off. I mean, when, when I first read that, I... I was like, oh yeah, that's right. It looked like a typo. It's like to win six masters of the same master in a row. That's incredible. Yeah, that's you know, you look that that's a once in a lifetime achievement. I, I've I, I, it's safe to say. I mean, granted, it, it makes the achievements of a Sampras or a, or a Borg or a, a Federer, you know, with their consecutive Wimbledon's, you know, really kind of puts that in perspective a little bit too. Uh, but you know, it, you know, it, that's not an achievement to be sort of scoffed at or say, well, you know, it's just one of those kind of funny things that that happens to work out that way. To win the same. 1000 masters 1000 and this is the first year i think that it's optional if i'm not man no i'm sorry it was uh, optional last year, year. i think second year. year is optional but you know this is there's no question that this is one of the premier quality tournaments and it's a great traditional historic tournament and you know to be going for your sixth in a row that's just mind-boggling yeah and then the, i mean the rest of the draft you if you take nadal out of it who i think is clearly the heavy favorite um, and who was, you know, Verdasco came out just uh, yesterday or whatever. I was reading that he said that Nadal was on antibiotics during Miami, wasn't well, and uh, because of his wisdom tooth, had to have antibiotics. But Nadal, as we, we've talked about here last week, he, he looked great in Miami. He was looking sharp. So going to be the heavy favorite there. Outside of that, it's, it's kind of a, a, a fairly open draw, right, Pete? I mean, you've got Djokovic in the other half uh, with the likes of Silich, who did win his first-round match already, but I don't really like his movement on clay. I don't think he's, he's going he's gonna to do well there. No, I don't, I don't, I don't anticipate that. Either. He's really, I think, better, you know, really bit more suited to hard courts. Uh, well, there's a lot of guys who are a lot of big question marks hanging over a lot of heads at this tournament, I think, you know, including the head of uh, Andy Murray. Well, he, was, know, a, he was a last-minute uh, entry into this event. He has a lot to, he's a lot to prove right now because he's been playing pretty crappy. Yeah, he asked for the desperation card, I think. You know, uh, <laughs> you know, I think it's probably too much to expect him to come out and have make a big statement and win a tournament. What that guy needs to do, first of all, is get his game back on the rails. Then right. he can worry about when he pulls into the station. But uh, Do you think he, he'll feel I – mean, we were talking about this uh, yesterday. But do you think he's going to – he'll feel less pressure here because he's not expected necessarily to win on clay but do you think you still think it's going to be a, a tough task for him to, to to come through here right yeah i think he just i, I think he's a, he, he's got to consolidate his game he's got to get you know sort of get back to what's been working for him and it's not that long he's not he doesn't seem to me like a djokovic type where djokovic you'd think a little bit lost his identity and kind of forgot who he is i don't think that's the case with murray i think just murray's just kind of playing badly maybe he's got motivational problems you know the you know plus video so games much, video games video games yeah, too much too much <laughs> of the uh game boy and too much of the uh playstation yes you know right. uh, but you know i think I, I think with Murray, too, I think you got to kind of factor in a little bit that increasingly, as time goes on, as the expectations grow, it's going to be more and more 
all about Wimbledon, like it or not. And yeah. he's going to fight that. And he knows he's not going to be stupid enough. He knows better. You know, he's not going to build his year around Wimbledon. But how do you not when you have an entire, not just an entire nation looking at you, but an entire press corps following you around? I mean, basically, you know, the, the, the sort of underlying question in every press conference Murray holds, win or lose, is how does this affect your chances to become the first Wimbledon champion England has produced since Fred It is Perry. insane, yeah. So that's really kind of tough. I can actually, you know, I, I can sort of see why, you know, the beginning of the year maybe wouldn't be the best time for Murray. Maybe he should kind of keep his powder dry, and maybe that's what he's doing, not consciously. You know, keep his proud of dry. You know, he's got a little bit of time to work into his game. Hardcourt summertime, right. he should do very well there. Wimbledon, of course, is huge for him. I mean, he also grew up on clay when he went to Spain to train when he was a teenager. So, uh, I mean, without with less pressure on these these courts. I mean, he. I'm expecting not necessarily here in Monte Carlo, but I'm expecting to see at least a semifinal here or there. He, he got to the semis last year. Monte Carlo lost to Nadal. Um, I think he'll do okay, right? I mean, yeah, I think I just don't think you're going to see him racking up titles at this point. Now, he's good for the quarters on talent, good for the semis on, on, on hard work for sure on these events. And, you know, everyone points out that, you know, the great thing about Monte Carlo is it's the courts that are closest to Roland Garros right. and their playing properties. Nadal makes a big deal out of that and stuff. But, look, let's face it, you know, uh, the French Open is, you know, five, six weeks away. So, I mean, I think, you know, it doesn't help him that much to, you know, what, what helps him on – the surface we're playing on this week is, is a good thing for next week, and that's about as far as it goes. I agreed on that. And then we've got uh, Nadal in the other uh, half, and he's uh, in Murray's half. And then you've got a lot of wild cards. You've got Lubitschek, who I think is going to continue to come down to earth. I mean, I don't really think he's going to continue to sustain what we saw in Indian Wells. No, he's, he doesn't move well enough, I don't think, for this no. stuff. He's old man Luby, right? And then you've got David Ferrer, who you never know. I, I'm always impressed with him. He's, he's just a backboard, but if, you're, if, the, if his opponent's – a little bit off. He's just the last guy he you want to play. He might be ready for a resurgence. You know, he's a guy who kind of got a, you know, who poked his nose over the windowsill or looked and see how the other half lives. And, you know, yeah. I don't know how he felt about that. But, you know, he, he, he is a guy who can just, he's a pretty even-keeled guy. And his right. game is an even-keeled game. And, you know, so you can almost expect him. There's almost like a cycle with some of these guys that they, they play. Re- Davidenko, I think, for a long time was yeah, like this. He goes through yeah. a period when suddenly he plays really well. And then all of a sudden he kind of, you know, he's losing in the third round. He gets to the quarters. You kind of forget about him because he's not maybe the most electric player out there, hasn't won a slam. But then, you know, they get their, they catch a wind again, and he can, he's going to be problems for anybody. Well, there you go. Um, a couple of things before we, we sign off here. We did have an email I was going to bring it in. It was an interesting one about uh, women's tennis. Um, they, the person, I forgot their name, but they said, uh, he said that he found it interesting that, you know, the WTA Tour has condensed the schedule, Pete. They've given a little bit more offseason now, and yet we're still seeing lots of injuries. Kuznetsova's hurt, Sharapova's out, Sharina's out for whatever you want to, you know, call it. A couple other top players are out. I mean, what, what, what about this? I mean, I don't think anyone has an answer to it, but it's like the WTA did the right thing and, and trying to give the players a little more offseason, which the men's tour really hasn't been able to do yet. And still, you're looking at Charleston going on, and the players are just popping out. Another player popped out today. They're just withdrawing injuries and stuff. doesn't seem like they can get a hold of this this problem of injuries. Well, you look, I, I, I'm sorry. I'm a skeptic on this, this idea that, well, you know, every year it's going to get worse because every year everybody's better. Every year they play more, and every year they're getting more and more hurt. I, I think what's happening here is, you know, the standard is being lowered, I think, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. People are making a very good living. They're also not having to compete they're figuring out figuring out that well you know you know that you know they don't they don't really maybe have to you know it's it's as if they expect to be in top shape all the time right. well, this is crazy you see look at some sports especially the football nfl football you, yeah, know, you, you got guys on, you know with pins in their legs playing right. they go out to play next sunday now granted right. they only have 16 games a year so there's a particular priority on that i think this is just kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy and i think i don't think shortening the season's ever okay i think you cut the season in half and you're still gonna have players complaining right. about injury they're complaining about having to go from hard to clay right you know I agree. everything under the book and I think 
actually keeping it longer in a way helps because it does allow you to have those ebbs and flows in the season. So if you do get hurt, you can still come back. You can take your rest and stuff. I mean, Federer is a master at that. I think if you look at someone that knows how to manage his schedule, he's also been blessed with good luck. But Absolutely. Uh, well, you know, the thing is tennis, I think, is, is you know, I always think of ten- tennis is a game of periodization. This whole thing about having an off season is kind of crazy. I think it's a game of periodization. You, you go to different surfaces, different parts of the world. The sanest schedule is a schedule that allows for enough rest and enough time off where you're not, you know, giving up the chance to make ranking points so that you can actually refresh yourself, replenish, fill up the tank again, go back out there, fight it on another different surface. That's the best thing you can have for tennis, and that's what, kind of what we have. Yeah. And the only problem with the women's thing is, like, Charleston is, is theoretically a big tournament for the women's tour. I mean, it's, it's, it's a big event, and they're still getting hammered with withdrawals. So that's the only unfortunate thing is that you want – you know, it's one thing when you withdraw from Sopot or some little dinky tournament, but it's unfortunate when you see this because it's particularly on American soil, clay courts, it's a beautiful venue, and they're kind of getting hammered. Um, the other thing that we wanted to mention, and we'll be visiting, and we'll be visiting with Tom Parada, our senior editor, next week. This but, is going to uh, be ugly, folks. This is gonna, this could be ugly, but as some of you may know, the USTA is holding a uh, playoff tryouts around the country, um, where if you you join uh, a particular tournament or wherever you are, we can go anywhere. Actually, you can do anywhere you want in the world, I mean, in the country, I should say. And you play with a chance to get to these national playoffs, and the winner of the national playoffs gets a gets a, uh, a, a spot in the U.S. Open. You get to live the dream. You get to play in the U.S. Open if you make it through your local tournament and then the national playoffs. And our very own Tom Parada, who's been on this podcast before, is uh, got his match on Sunday, Pete, against uh, a 4-0 player. At least that's what he's rated. So it, it could look good for Tom. Well, you know, a lot this of pressure. Is, now, let's remember, we're talking about Tom. I'm a 4.5 Parada. <laughs> so we're going to see where the rubber, when the rubber hits the road here, we're going to see, we're going to smoke the truth out of this one. You know, but the, the idea, you know, I, I love this idea of having this giant, basically giant national qualifying it's, it's an tournament for idea, the U.S. Yeah. Open. And just, just the very thought of Tom Parada playing on Court 16 at the U.S. Open on August 27th or whatever day one is, is just too delicious. I, I'm, you know, he's probably already p- planning his outfit because, after all, you know, uh, he's already got the, he's the man. He's already got the eye of the tiger. I saw him today. He saw his opponent. He's ready. But we'll have him in next week, and we'll ask. be fun just to talk to him and, and find out what the experience is like, not just for him, but just all these players that are going to be there because there's going to be some great recreational players out at the one here at the National Tennis Center. So we'll get a full report from TP, including his match. And uh, with that, just uh, keep sending in your questions, comments, etc., to podcast at tennis.com. We will hopefully join you later this week with three mics, not two, but we'll have to see. The ghost of Steve, Steve Tigner sits in that empty chair. <laughs> Indeed, that's a TBD. But we will be back later this week and next week. So until then, with uh, Pete Bodo, I'm James Martin. Take it easy. You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.